Hello and welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. We are your hosts, Vidas Pinkavichus and Oshamut Zeta Pinkavichin. We've been mastering secrets of organ playing for more than 20 years and sharing them on this blog since 2011. On this show, which we create from our home in Vilnius, Lithuania, we strive to help you grow in every area of organ playing, including practice, technique, repertoire, sight reading, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory, harmony, and many others. Our hope is to help you become a complete musician, or what we call as total organist, a program which we have created to help you reach your dreams faster than you would do on your own. If you are new here, we invite you to subscribe to receive free updates of this blog at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video on how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. And now let's go to the podcast for today. So I'm here with Nicole Keller, who is an active solo and chamber music recitalist and clinician in the United States and abroad. She enjoys exploring all aspects of organ repertoire, especially pairing new music for the instrument with the staples of the repertoire. She performs regularly as a solo and collaborative artist on the organ, piano, and harpsichord. Exploring organ duo repertoire with Timothy Olsen, a professor of organ at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. She is on faculty at the Baldwin-Wallace University Conservatory of Music in Beria, uh, Ohio, and is associate organist at Trinity Cathedral, Cleveland. Thank you so much, Nicole, and welcome to the show. My pleasure. So let's start this conversation, Nicole, uh, from your very early days, probably. Do you remember the time when somebody introduced you to the King of Instruments? And do you remember the story how you first fell in love with it? Can you share with us? Well, it's kind of a roundabout story. Uh, my mother and grandmother were both organists. Um, and my grandmother started me on the piano when I was about 10 years old. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really start with the organ, and I didn't have a lot of interest with the organ, probably because everyone wanted me to play it. Um, so I went to undergraduate school for piano and decided, you know, taking organ as a secondary instrument would probably be a good idea. Um, and I fell in love with the repertoire, quite frankly. I mean, I still love the piano, and I loved the piano when I was studying it, but I decided for graduate school that I wanted to, to explore this new instrument. So that kind of began things for me. Mm-hmm. So for some people, organ is fascinating because it's a magnificent, grand instrument, right? For some people, it's the basis, 32 feet stops. For some people, it's a, it's a visual, breathtaking uh, aspect of organ design. For some, it's com- complexity in, in mechanical engineering, right? And for you, you say it was uh, about the repertoire, am I correct? The repertoire, yes, and the, the, the versatility of the instrument, uh-huh. and of course the architecture of the instrument, how can you not be, be moved by that, of course, and the fact that you know, every instrument is different, even if you plop 
the same instrument down in a different space. It still becomes a completely different instrument because of, because of its surroundings. So I find that um, fascinating and there's always something new to, to, to discover about an instrument. I mean, it's one of the more frustrating things as well because you have to constantly be um, shifting your thought process and shifting your technique sometimes to fit, to fit where you are. But that, you know, keeps you, keeps you nimble. Right. Do you remember the first organ that you played? Yeah, uh, I'm quite sure it was probably a Holt Camp Martini practice instrument at the school. Not the most uh, interesting instrument. I would I would imagine that I that I played. I don't know that I ever played any of the instruments my mother or grandmother um, played growing up because I'm sure I was told not to touch them. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I don't have any recollection playing them. I probably played around with them, but not much. Mm -hmm. And in your mind, what was the most spectacular instrument that you played? You can still remember and, and uh, cherish this, this idea. As a child or as an adult? Um, both probably you know if, if if i say what was the most magnificent instrument for you and that you would like to return to today what would that be that would probably be uh, notre dame in paris oh i'm so sorry <laughs> i was very fortunate to play on that instrument several years ago and i'm so glad i got the opportunity to do it and oh, you know yes. it's wonderful to it's, hear it again, not just to play it again. But another, um, another magnificent instrument, which was fun to play on, um, is the the instrument at uh, Saint Stephen's Cathedral in um, uh, in uh, oh my gosh, the name of the town is 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 right on the Danube in Germany. <laughs> Vienna. Uh, Vienna. No, 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 no. No. Why is that right out of my head? Right on the Danube, uh, St. Stefan John Passau. I don't know why I couldn't remember, remember the name okay. of that town. And Passau, mm -hmm. a really fantastic, build, I mean, a, a giant, giant, giant building and a very, very large instrument. It's just so beautiful to play in spaces that are so incredibly vibrant and architecturally interesting. I mean, it really keeps you inspired as you're practicing, for sure. Those instruments can be, of course, a little bit more problematic because of the acoustic and where the pipes are and where the console is and all of that and balancing all of those things. But it's still, it's a fun challenge to, to explore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was not so fortunate uh, um, with Notre Dame. Uh, I was scheduled to play last summer. And oh. it, it, uh, it, of course, uh, became a tragedy. And we're all waiting yeah. now for for a rebuilding of this magnificent cathedral. Absolutely. It will be Absolutely. two years for sure. I'm Wonderful. Sure. So, so Nicole, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, some nicer things uh, that we can remember, right? Do you remember what was the first organ piece that you played from the beginning? Uh, huh, huh, huh. Good question. Probably, well, I started out in both the uh, Harold Gleason organ method yes. and also um, the Robin Davis organ method as well. Yes. And I do remember playing that very first piece in the Roger Davis organ method, 
uh, method of uh, Samuel Scheidt, um, Da Jesus on dem Kreuzer Stund. Yes. Um, For two uh, Yeah, many students play that too, you know, from Tablo Toranova. Um, and my first organ professor, uh, Dr. Margaret Scharf, for her um, dissertation and for her doctoral degree, she actually created an organ method of her own. Mm -hmm. So she had little snippets of pieces and um, uh, little two-voice pieces by, by J.S. Bach that I certainly played as well. So a lot of smaller things that I played. Mm -hmm. they, they still carry some nostalgic value for me, for sure. Yeah. What was the difficult thing about that, about those pieces? Um, did you struggle with, with pedals, let's say, or with coordination or with articulation? What was the difficult part for you? I don't know that it was it was horribly difficult for me at the beginning. Um, coordination, of course, is always a struggle when you're first uh, learning pedal pieces. I think for me, it was getting used to playing on different manuals, getting used to playing when you have a delay in the sound, of course, when the console is a little bit farther away from the pipes. You know, as, as pianists, you become so... Um, so aware of how immediate the sound is when you play it. And as organist, you, you, you have to get used to the fact that you may play and you know, it seems like a few seconds later the sound comes out of the instrument if you're not on a tracker instrument. Um, so that took a little bit of getting used to, and frankly, getting used to the different feel of the different keyboards. All yeah. pianos feel a little bit different as well, but for the organ world, I mean, that's, it's just a massive chasm between one, the touch of one instrument and the touch of another instrument. So that was a little, I think, maybe a little off-putting at the beginning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course, with the help of a great teacher, you probably overcame those challenges, right? Yes, 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 she was very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, did you understand the articulation right away or was it a mystery for you? Um, I think I understood it. Of course, I was taught in the school of everything must be legato at first, mm -hmm. and we sort of departed from there, which in many ways, I think makes things a little bit easier because you think about your articulation, um, I think in a more codified way um, and in a more structured way. So that certainly made sense. And if you're on, a, on an instrument that responds very well, of course, that responds to what you're doing, um, it, it makes your life a lot easier. So I think I was lucky in that circumstance as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, for me, it was quite a mystery. I remember my first piece was uh, some chorale from the Orgelbüchlein by Bach. And um, my teacher told me about something playing detached, but, but not quite detached. I couldn't understand uh, the intricacies about it uh, right from the beginning. But, but um, you know, little by little, after some years, it sank in. For you, for, was it right. faster? Well, um, we went about the approach in, in a very systematic way. Um, mm -hmm. We started out with legato and then learned um, a detached touch or a staccato touch, which was exactly half value, and yeah. then explored, you know, the, the spectrum between half value and, um, and uh, legato and then half value and an extreme detached touch. So it was, it was really very systematic, and um, my teacher was very disciplined about it, so I think I was very lucky in that um, in that circumstance. A little bit later on, probably more towards graduate school, I learned more about ordinary touch, mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit trickier, I think. Um, and for me, it involves uh, 
thinking about it by using my ear a little bit more and thinking about what I want it to sound like and what it should sound like, what it would sound like if a violin player were bowing every note or an oboe player were tonguing every note, um, or if I were singing it, if there was a syllable on every note, is it a hard syllable or is it a soft syllable? And thinking about it from that, that side of things, to me makes a little bit more sense, um, but I had, I think, a little bit more experience with singing, of course, and with playing with instrumentalists and watching them work and watching them figure out how to bow things and how that changed the sound. So that was really helpful for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for me, the breakthrough probably was uh, Dr. George Ritchie and Quentin Faulkner in uh, University of Nebraska, Lincoln. They taught me very simple way of, of uh, determining the correct, correct um, articulation by playing a passage with one finger but as legato as possible and then imitating the same touch with you know normal fingering and then it clicked right. for me yeah, yeah. and I, I do that with my harpsichord students um on campus we actually don't have a tracker instrument to teach on for the organist but for the harpsichord students getting them to really feel that pluck and to see just how close those notes can be together without being legato and how close you can get them with just one finger. That's, that's really, that's, that's a pretty good way of doing it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, it helps. And then the, the instrument speaks uh, in a different way right away, whereas uh, mm -hmm. if you play it legato, it sort of forgets to breathe, right? It can, it certainly can, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, uh, Nicole, what um, made you or inspired you to choose this profession uh, as a career, you know, not a pianist, but organist? Um, well, that's a good question. Sometimes I ask myself that as well. I think um, perhaps I came into it from the academic side of things. When I decided I wanted to, to study music, I wanted to be a pianist, a concert pianist, because I love to play and I love to perform. And I don't know that before college I ever knew that was even possible for organists, quite frankly. Um, and I became a little bit more familiar with the organ world, and I met David Higgs, who is my graduate school teacher, and it sort of opened my mind up uh, to new possibilities for things. Um, and I guess it sort of started from there, and the more I learned about organ repertoire and the more, I guess, in love I fell with a lot of a lot of the repertoire, I, I just sort of gravitated towards that world. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I suppose anyone in any field would say there, there are things about the field that you don't really like, um, and it doesn't really matter what instrument you're in, and I think we, we all have those things. Um, but, you know, all of the good things that come out of it, most of the time, outweigh some of the things that we prefer not to have to deal with. But that goes along with life in any field, for sure. Wonderful. Do you have your favorite branch of repertoire even today? <laughs> Depends on the organ I'm on. Mm -hmm. um, I play regularly on a three-manual flantrop, a 1977 three-manual flantrop. So, of course, I love playing uh, German Baroque music, um, Dutch music, you know, anything that sort of fits that instrument really, really well. Um, we are soon going to have an Aeolian Skinner at the cathedral as well. And when I'm on an instrument like that, of course, I enjoy playing uh, different types of repertoire, American repertoire, uh, 20th century repertoire in particular. Um, 
Um, but also, you know, I, I, the nice thing about the organ is you can sort of meld yourself to wherever you are. You can just be immersed in, in these, these different instruments and these different sounds. So, and I tend to plan my programming around that. If I'm on an instrument that plays the music of Buxtehude pretty well, I'll probably sort of stay in that universe or explore some other things as well. Um, so, you know, it depends. I know that's a vague answer that, that totally uh, um, doesn't really give you an answer, but it's, it's nice to be able to, to sort of shift your, your personality a little bit with the instrument. Yeah, absolutely. It depends uh, on the instrument that you play and um, it helps you to feel the instrument, feel the space probably, um, right? Um, for some people, they don't care about the instrument so much. They, they love one branch of the repertoire, one style, and they even travel the world uh, by playing all kinds of uh, organs, but with just one set of repertoire. You're not one of them, right? Uh, not so much. I, I think sometimes it's really difficult to force a certain repertoire or to force a certain timbre of sounds onto an instrument that doesn't quite suit it, or frankly, into a room that, that doesn't quite suit it. Um, I love playing Bach, and Bach works on many, many, many different instruments. And I think if you choose through the repertoire wisely, you can play Bach on the largest, most quote romantic instrument that there is, um, but it's it makes it a little bit hard, and I'd I'd rather sort of live in the country that the instrument is in, you know. And, and most instruments I've played are are really fairly versatile. Um, the flintrop I play on is is a quite versatile instrument considering um, considering what it is. You can play a, a diverse amount of repertoire on it. Um, so I, I think it takes. It takes some real listening to the instrument, listening to the foundation stops, listening to the principles, and seeing what type of personality they have, and then determining what type of texture is going to fit that. It's a little hard if you don't actually play the instrument or you've never seen it before, but you know, these days we have the benefit of recording so we can hear these things, and we have the benefit of colleagues who've played these instruments. Um, I'm due to play a concert in Boston next week, actually. Oh. Um, and I was glad that I could, you know, just look up a colleague on Facebook and say, hey, I know you live near here. Can you tell me a little bit about this instrument? I'm thinking about this repertoire. Do you think that's going to work here? Mm -hmm. So that's that's certain. Sometimes you arrive in places and things that you plan don't quite work. Um, you can always change your repertoire a little bit. Sometimes it just changes your concept of the piece. So you change your idea about registration. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes and wildly change it um, to make it work on that particular instrument, which makes it um, makes your life interesting as a musician because the piece becomes something else and your experience becomes something else and what you're communicating to the to your audience becomes something else as well. Yeah, sometimes it's frustrating if if you have just one idea of, of an organ piece and you suddenly get to play entirely different instrument and you were expecting something else and um, but you can relax and enjoy probably while creating um, entirely unique uh, experience right no i don't know if it's relaxed but <laughs> after a while it's relaxed and i find it takes me a little bit to when i'm when i'm getting to know a new instrument to figure out what the voice of that instrument is and once i get to that point where i've sort of figured out the palette of the instrument then i can relax and enjoy it a little bit 
some instruments it takes a little bit longer to find that than others and there are times for for particular instruments where i feel like i didn't quite find it but i need to to work with with what i think i have and hopefully that will work out well so far so good mm -hmm. yeah so what is this instrument in boston that you will be playing next week it's uh, an Austin instrument, so it's a little bit older. And part of this concert series um, is to raise money to have some work done on the instrument. Uh -huh. They have a choir uh, manual that's prepared but not playable right now. And I think they're pretty close to their goal, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm fairly familiar with Austin, so I, I know what, for the most part, works on the instruments. With any older instrument, it's, it's always hard to say, you know, I know Austin's, because chances are it's been worked on. Um, or changed a little bit since uh, the original specification. So that's always an interesting, uh, an interesting relationship to develop with an instrument. I know what you should sound like, but now let's see what you actually sound like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what will you be playing uh, in 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 Boston? I'm going to play. I'm sharing the recital with a guitar duo, believe it or not. Um, oh. But I'm going to start the recital playing um, the Tapata in F. Mm -hmm. And then I will play the E minor trio sonata. And then the guitar, the guitar duo will play a little bit. And then I'm going to play um, the fantasy in G minor, followed by a number of chorale preludes. And what I wanted to do is to show how Bach um, show his compositional style in these chorale preludes, what he does when the chorale prelude is in trio form, what he does when it's more through composed. Um, what he does when he's calling for a more ornamented melody to sort of give the different uh, sides of the personality of Bach, which I think will be kind of fun. So there are some chorale preludes from the Orgelbuch line, um, one of the Leipzig chorales, um, and also from Favre-Ubin III, of course. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to end the recital with um, the Passacaglia. Oh, not the fugue in F major. No, not the fugue in F major. No, no. Yeah, it's a great fugue. It's a little bit long, and I think um, perhaps a little bit academic. Uh -huh. for, for the, I think the, the, the Takata is kind of a fun dance piece to start the beginning of the recital with. Yeah. I've heard some, some organists uh, start with the Toccata in F and finish with the fugue in F, like uh, E flat major prelude and fugue yeah. in Klavierübung. And uh, generally, it works, I would say, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Sometimes I think for some people that piece is not the big sort of virtuosic ending that they're, I mean, it's a big, grand, um, sort of end of a Brahms symphony type ending rather than, you know, a, something that's going to sort of knock people out of their seats in a way. So it's, it's just a different perspective, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course, to finish the recital with Pasacalia is wonderful too. Yeah, it's a great piece. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Uh, um, Nicole, um, will you talk between your pieces with the audience um, about your repertoire and composers introduce something? I normally do. Um, I tend to play repertoire that's a little bit out of off the beaten path. Um, uh, not so much for, for this concert, but I think um, a lot of audiences aren't necessarily as familiar with the organ as an instrument or with a lot of the repertoire. And I think introducing it to them so that they have something that they can listen for or listen to, I think is, is really important. 
I think for organ concerts, there's usually always one person who perhaps has never heard the organ in that way before. Perhaps mm -hmm. they've only heard it in church or they've only heard it on the movies or something like that. Um, so it's, it's a new experience in some way. And it's an instrument that takes some explanation and it's repertoire that I think definitely takes some explanation, even the Bach pieces. And because I'm introducing the Bach pieces sort of, I don't know, from an interesting compositional standpoint, um, I think it's important to talk about it a little bit. I also think it's our job as performers and as artists and as teachers to take every educational moment possible. So getting someone to learn something a little bit new about Bach or a little bit new about the organ is, is an opportunity we should take all the time without turning it into a lecture, of course, but keeping it as something interesting that they can think about a little bit later. And it may move them to go to another organ concert or to ask more questions about the instrument. And that's, that's exactly what we want in the field. You know, I hope people will come up uh, uh, to you after the concert and maybe ask uh, you to show you some some stops uh, uh, from up close, you know, for maybe play some pedal notes. That would be great. Mm -hmm. I always encourage it. They don't always do it. I think they feel a little um, intimidated by it. But the children who come are definitely interested and they ask some very interesting questions. Sometimes questions I can't answer or questions I didn't think of myself. but. But it's always great to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, children are very amusing and still curious about new stuff. And they can yeah. become motivated to pursue some organ adventures later on. Absolutely. Or at least support others who are pursuing organ adventures, which we need as much as, as we need organists. Mm -hmm. Right. So wonderful. Um, uh, so when you're preparing this program, I know it's a big program and uh, quite um, complex, especially the starting piece uh, requires stamina and good pedal work and uh, coordination between hands and feet. Uh, what is the most difficult uh, thing for you right now? In that particular program? Yes, let's say in this, in this program. For me, it's a little unusual to play a program of all one composer. Um, in many ways, it's, it's a little bit easier because your, your mind is sort of staying in the same neighborhood as far as style. But of course, Bach is, is challenging um, to play whether you're doing an entire concert of Bach or, or just one piece. Um, for this program though, hmm, that's a good question. Um, perhaps because I'm playing the program in two parts. I play a little bit at the beginning and then have a little bit of a break, you know, just as you get warmed up and, you know, ready to, to hit the meat of the program. That could be a little bit of a challenge because you kind of have to start over again mm -hmm. um, with, with, some, uh, with your mindset and with your focus. Um, and honestly, I don't even know what the guitar duo is playing. So uh -huh. that will be sort of an interesting guide as far as where my mind is going to go for that. And I'm sure it will be sort of inspirational and interesting. It gives me some things to think about while I'm playing my other pieces as well. So that's, you know, that will be, I think, my challenge for that program. I haven't played the Passacaglia in a while. It's a piece I know really, really well. I played it for one of my graduate school um, recitals. But it's, it's been a little while since I've played it. So um, I know it very well, but the experience of performing it um, 
we'll be sort of getting back on that that horse with it again. I'm not necessarily concerned about it, but it's it's something you you think about as you're performing and what needs to get my my biggest attention from from all of the pieces and how do I shift my focus through the recital for sure. What type of registration strategy will you be applying in Pasakalia? Will you be playing all organo pleno or various uh, types of registration to show up the organ or or something else? Generally, um, on an instrument like the Austin, I probably would not do a plenum for the entire time. Of course, you know, I, I can't really tell until I get to the instrument and see what it what it gives me. So mm -hmm. I may it is very effective, although not necessarily performance practice, um, to sort of start with a, a very small sound and, and yes. you know, build your, your way up to the top. But I kind of like to um, look at the textures that Bach has given me and see what, what he's a actually asking for. There are times when planum is, is obvious and times when I think you can play around with a little bit more of the color on the instrument. Um, especially during the, the first part of the, of the Pasacalia. So I think um, generally my strategy with a new instrument is I start by uh, listening to the smallest sounds of the instruments and the foundations of the instruments um, and then going from there. So I'll probably read through my smaller pieces first and then see how the instrument is actually putting itself together and then I'll make my decision on Pasacalia from there. First thing I listen to are the principles and to hear what their timbre is like, to hear what the shape of the sound of that is like and how that fills the room, and that will inform the rest of my decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and plus Bach's birthday is appro approaching, right? So it's kind of very appropriate. Yeah, and I believe this concert series that they have every year is called Bach's Birthday Bash. Uh -huh. So it's definitely be a celebration. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I hope they will raise enough funds for organ re renovation because of you. I hope. Well, I hope so too. I hope so too. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, Nicole, it was so, such a pleasure uh, to talk uh, with you about those things. Um, now, um, can you give our listeners uh, one final piece of advice? Uh, for them, if, if they want to play some Bach music, what is the most important thing to keep in mind? Um, my first piece of advice would be to listen to a lot of Bach music and not just organ music. I mean, of course, Bach, when he was composing, and most composers are thinking of a particular instrument, but music is music, and knowing how Bach um, writes for violins, knowing how Bach writes for oboes, how he writes for the voice, I think really informs how you think about the music. And because the organ is an instrument that, frankly, you have to orchestrate when you play it, your understanding of how all of these things work together and how these textures are put together um, are, are really, really important. And I don't see how one could play Bach well if you're not familiar with with the breadth of his compositions, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. That's right. His cantatas, his uh, harpsichord yeah. pieces, his his uh, orchestra, orchestral suites, everything puts adds breadth uh, in 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 his organ uh, output as well. Is influenced mm -hmm. directly, and uh, you can find similarities in uh, in in uh, harmonic language, in polyphony. In, in 
all those uh, symbol symbolistic elements to text painting, right? Yeah, it's important. Yeah. The more you know, I mean, the more you the writing, understand. The writing is so similar. You know, I, I love looking at Bach's pedal lines and seeing how he changes things just a little bit to accommodate the fact that we're playing with our feet instead of playing it with a bow. You know, and I, I, I find that kind of interesting. And I often wonder, what would that look like if he wrote that for, um, for the cellos or for a gamba or for the basses? You know, how would that line really look? How would he change his adaptations to it and how much more difficult it would make it for the player of course mm -hmm. exactly that's a very good advice for uh, to 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 know other uh, compositions that composer created i guess this this applies not only to bach right to, to any other um, major composer that created some organ works as well like let's say Reger you would you would want to explore his piano works and uh, orchestral and chamber music as well which adds uh, some some emphasis and meaning to, probably to organ works as well right right mm -hmm. and uh, thinking in particular of composers like Brahms who wrote so little for the organ mm -hmm. um how could you even think about how you're going to to register this piece if you're not familiar with the textures he uses um for his orchestral pieces or for the string quartets or for the piano trios or the piano works themselves i mean it really is informative to how to look at the piece and how to treat it mm -hmm. So what's next for you after Boston? Do you have many recitals planned later on? Well, I think, well, uh, you know, things are kind of falling by the wayside these days with concerns about coronavirus. So I've mm -hmm. had a couple of concerts that have been canceled. Um, I have, though, at the end of April, a concert scheduled here at the Art Museum here in Cleveland, um, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, and then in May, I have two concerts in New York City, one at St. Paul's Chapel, and then one a few days later, later at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So I'm looking forward to those as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope mm -hmm. the epidemic will not spread uh, uh, into United States as much, you know, and you you can you can travel and perform and and uh, make yeah. your audiences very happy. Yeah, and I know precautions are are being made right now, and social distancing is is very important. So we're mm -hmm. mindful of those things, but trying to live a regular life as as much as we can. So yeah, we are now talking on on Thursday Thursday uh, evening in Lithuania, and uh, this morning I just found out that our country closed all education events, all schools for at least two weeks, all public events. Mm, uh, organ concerts will be cancelled in our church as well, you know. Yeah, and I, that's probably to come on a more severe level here too as well. We don't have as many confirmed cases here where I live in Cleveland as, as in some other areas, but I think in an effort to contain that, um, many, many things are being canceled. And it, it seems prudent for sure, for mm -hmm. sure. But keeping, I think keeping people's anxiety and panic level down will perhaps be more difficult than, than containing the cases in some ways. So we'll, we'll see what happens and we'll, we'll keep ourselves hopeful. Yes, and we'll we'll stay at home and practice organ <laughs> or harpsichord. I have a harpsichord and a piano at home, so I have no excuse not to continue practicing. So, <laughs> yes. 
So thank you so much, Nicole. It was such a pleasure to, to talking with you. Um, before we end this conversation, can you direct our listeners to your website so that they could visit you and say hello and find out more about you and your work? My website is NicoleKeller.com, fairly simple to find. And I have um, a page for engagements on there and also a, a page with some, uh, with some audio examples too. I'm, I'm working in the future to, to make that a little bit better. Do feel free to visit the website and hopefully I'll see some people around at some concerts sometime in the near future. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I hope uh, people who will hear this conversation on Sunday, some people from your area might come to your recital as well. Or from I hope so too. Thank yes. you so much for the conversation. It was really fun. Yes. Thank you. And um, we'll talk uh, uh, about your future engagements and musical adventures later on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This blog is supported by Total Organist, the most comprehensive organ training program online, where you will find courses for every area of organ playing, including technique, practice, sight reading, repertoire playing, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory and harmony, with hundreds of scores and thousands of exercises. Here is what some of the students are saying. Hugh writes, the sight reading course has helped me tremendously. Thank you very much for your SS courses and all your help. Robert writes, I found the fingerings, registration ideas and general comments to be excellent. John writes, I have found your download very helpful. It was really excellent. I have watched some of your teaching videos and when I read your instructions. I try to imagine you are there teaching me. You may feel disappointed that I am two, three days behind, but I am a slow learner and I have committed to taking the time to get it right as you say. But the other night my wife commented that she had never heard me play such a detailed melody in the left hand so well. My left hand is generally poor. Robert writes, It has been a great pleasure in my life of having discovered your courses and material as well as the YouTube work of recordings. You have a calm and pleasant way of teaching. Ron writes, Hi Vida Santosha, thank you guys. What a wonderful response to my email note to you. You've got me right, and I feel you understand my level of playing. Yes, at home and lucky that I have an organ for that reason. I am paying attention to this, and I am going to try this haha no longer secret model. Yes, and I love Caesar Frank too. What is very nice about your blog podcast is that Osha and Vidas are like a Socratic dialogue and by bouncing things off of each other, so much more information comes out and is expressed. Your comments contain a wealth of information and understanding. I really appreciate this. It is very inspiring and will keep us moving forward. Would you like to receive the same or even better results that our students are getting? If so, join them at organduo.lt slash total dash organist. And of course, you will get the first month free too. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to receive free updates of this blog, make sure you do that at organduo.lt. 
By subscribing, you will also receive free video How to Master Any Organ Composition and 10-Day Organ Playing Mini Course. This was Vidas and Osha from Secrets of Organ Playing. And remember, when you practice, miracles happen.